Hello, and welcome to SoundingTheLight.com, the place where you can connect to real artists, real stories, real talk. My name is Tara Tucker. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have got a great interview coming up in just a few minutes, but before that, uh, I just wanted to tell you a little bit more (laughs) that is going on with us in our pet saga. Uh, We had gotten a baby kitty back about a month ago and and, uh, have been enjoying him, and he seems to be enjoying being here. He's hilarious. He keeps us laughing all the time, and our dog outside really, really enjoys coming in, and they just love each other. Great friends now, love playing with each other, so that's been great. But the latest greatest is the new fish family that has come to stay at our house. Uh, We had told our daughter that if she kept her dresser clean for three weeks, that she could get a fish (laughs) to sit on top of her dresser. And she actually kept her dresser clean for three weeks. So last weekend, we went to the store, and I just thought we were going to go and pick up one fish. Well, my husband decided that it would be very interesting (laughs) to get a whole fish family. So what we got was a beta, a snail, and two ghost shrimp. Now, if you haven't seen ghost shrimp before, they're very, very little, kind of hard to see because they are kind of clear. And you can actually see what we think is the brain and its nervous system uh, inside, you know, doing its work. It's very, very interesting. And, uh, And they keep the tank clean and everything. So we just thought it was a good idea to get one of those. Well, I had told my daughter, you know, don't get attached to these fish because especially the shrimp and the snail, because we've never had stuff like that before. And we just wanted to make sure (laughs) that we were going to do right by them and, and, you know, not kill anybody. So uh, anyway, that went sort of by the wayside. And within about two hours, they were all named. And she loved them so much. Well, by the next day, uh, the littlest shrimp, whose name was Holly, had disappeared. And we couldn't find her. We're looking everywhere in the tank, couldn't find her. And about two days later, we saw a little piece of a shrimp tail floating around, and we're very afraid that she had gotten stuck up in the filter. And so, of course, there was heartbrokenness and and tears on the part of our sweet daughter, who just loves animals. And uh, so the the other two are doing, I mean, the other three fish are doing very well. We still have uh, the one shrimp and the snail and the beta. So they seem to be doing well with each other, which is good. Uh, and, and my daughter seems to be doing well with feeding them, which is also good. We think it'll teach her a lot of good lessons in taking care of things and just being responsible. So, well, I had Ryan Cummings come into the Sounding the Light studio a few days ago. Ryan is a classical guitarist and music teacher, uh, incredibly skilled musician. It's amazing to hear music from, you know, centuries ago being played on his guitar. And he also writes his own stuff. So he was able to play some music live here in the studio, which I will be sharing with you along with his interview. He had so much to say about what makes a classical guitar different from steel string guitars and and other guitars that we are more familiar with uh, in today's world. So uh, he had a great way of explaining things, had very good things to share about his own history and about his love of music. So I am so excited to share this interview with you. 
So once again, this is Ryan Cummings. Well, I have got Ryan Cummings in the studio with me this morning. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you could make it here. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, it's an absolutely beautiful day. It is. I actually had to shut the window because the birds were singing so loudly. It was getting onto the microphone. So, <laughs> See, I had all my windows and doors open this morning because uh-huh. it will just let the fresh air come oh, through. Yeah. It was great. Fall is the best. And even though it's trying to still be hot, there's always this you know, fight between the fall and the summer when the summer has to go out. But And I love it. I do, too. Favorite time of the year is fall and spring. Is it? Not a big fan of uh, hot summer or cold winter. Mm-mm. We started in this summer and I was telling my husband, man, if I can just, if I can just make it through. <laughs> For some reason this summer I was really dreading, but we made it through. We made it through. So uh, what's your favorite thing about the fall? The changing of the colors. Yeah. I mean, God puts on a, a, a light show almost with the trees <laughs> and it's just great to go outside and see all the different colors and, and feel the, the Christmas of the air on you. It's it's. Where it's nice to go and, and bake in the sun on a beach somewhere, you can't do that for too long. But you know, when it's 70 degrees or high 60s, you can stand outside all day long and just take it in. Oh, absolutely. And it never gets uncomfortable. It's just great. Um, but this is also great marshmallow roasting weather. Oh, yes, it is. So go out and, you know, once I'm, I'm finished, you know, cutting the grass and, you know, find sticks, things like that, just pile them up and light them up and do some s'mores. <laughs> I'm really in the mood for s'mores. Yep. <laughs> coffee and s'mores would be oh, great. Oh, yeah. Coffee and s'mores. So before we get into, you know, regular interview stuff, would you like to open out with, uh, with a song? Absolutely. Okay. What song are you going to play? Um, well, you had requested Packington's Pounds. Yes. So we, we can kind of get into to one like that. Okay. So Ryan, before you play this piece, would you give us a little bit of an intro as to, you know, who wrote it, where it came from? Sure. Uh, the piece is called Packington's Pound. It was written by a 17th century composer named Francis Cutting, who, even though I'm playing it on the guitar, was a lutenist. So we have um, great, great tunes from him. He was actually the one who was responsible for writing the tune Green Sleeves on the Lute, which uh, over in America we use that for the Christmas song, What Child Is This? And we've taken a lot of his music, we as the greater music community, (laughs) have taken a lot of his music and transcribed it for the guitar, and it just lies beautifully on the guitar, and mm-hmm. it's really fun to play. So this is one of those. It's a shorter piece, but it's kind of upbeat and really has that that Renaissance, castle kind of a sound to it, and it's really fun to play. Okay, well, whenever you're ready.
So that piece that we just heard was absolutely gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for listening. Um, can you tell us a little bit of a, you know, what, what the difference is between playing regular guitar and classical guitar? Right. Well, classical guitar is a very general term. Um, the main difference is the difference between the instruments themselves. What we see nowadays as a regular guitar is a large-bodied, wooden, steel-strung guitar. Mm-hmm. Think Martins, Gibsons, Epiphones, Taylors, things like that. The construction of it is is different from the classical guitar, mainly in the strings. The classical guitar has nylon strings mm-hmm. compared to the steel strings of a regular guitar, if you will. The body is a little bit different. Most um, regular size acoustic guitars are larger. Even a full size classical guitar is going to be a little bit on the smaller side. The woods that are used are different. Hmm. Um, Typically, you have some rosewood and some cedar. Does that um, have to do with how it sounds? Right. I mean, the, the resonance the and the sound are very big difference. Mm-hmm. In classical guitar, the, the top of the guitar, the soundboard, is going to be the biggest um, influence on the sound and the tone quality. And you have two basic choices for woods there. You can have a cedar, which is going to have a very mellow, almost like a deep Spanish sound to it. Mm-hmm. And then you have spruce, which is have a little bit more snap, a little bit more brightness to it, has a little bit more volume. Uh, the one that I play is European spruce. Hmm. So it has that, that brightness to it, but European spruce tends to kind of cut the high end off of it a little bit. So it doesn't have those high artifacts to the sound almost. Well, that's amazing how little things like that can make such a difference. A huge difference. Well, uh, let's get into a little bit of who you are. Um, tell me where you were born and where you grew up. I was born and raised in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I was born in Griffin. I spent all my life in Pike County, still live in Pike County. So I'm a, I'm a homebody, if you will. <laughs> you know, I was, was raised in a musical family. My, um, both of my uncles on my mother's side played, my grandfather on my mom's side. Everybody um, over there used to be part of a gospel group that would travel around. Nice. Uh, my mom, my aunt, my uncles, and my grandfather. And that's carried the generations, even though they stopped doing the, the gospel group long before I was born. Mm-hmm. Every time the family got together, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or just to say, hi, how are you doing? There was a guitar. <laughs> and to this day, if I'm going to visit any of my uncles or my grandfather, it's made sure that I know to bring my guitar. Because that's now awesome. I'm a part of that, which was always a goal of mine growing up, was mm-hmm. to be able to sit in that circle and do what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And at five years old, I had a little... Kermit the Frog toy guitar, and that's where I got my start. Was if I remember correctly, I was playing "Baby's Got Her Blue Jeans On," trying awesome. to trying to mimic what uh, they did. Uh-huh. It took a long time to get there, but that was always music was just always a huge part growing up. There was no choice about what I was going to do. I was going to sing, play an instrument. I mean, I could work another job. Mm-hmm. You know, when I told my parents that I was going to go into college for music, they uh, they kind of said what (laughs) they wanted me to do something different but Mm -hmm. to me there never was a choice well and the reason why that is so big is because it teaches you more than just how to play an instrument yeah it teaches you appreciation for arts in general but oh yeah becoming a musician you learn appreciation for the natural environment because you learn about acoustics Mm -hmm. you learn about resonance um and then being a christian you look at that as you know paul writes in romans that you know, we see God in just creation. Mm-hmm. So we have no excuse for not believing mm-hmm. that there's a God. And we can stamp out there and we hear the acoustics of a great concert hall because of the wood and because of how everything's put together. 
that that creates a spiritual experience inside of you also. So when you become a music major in college, you're not just learning how to play a major scale and Mm -hmm. tinker around on piano a little bit. You're really, in my opinion, you're learning an appreciation for life that can't be learned any other way. Well, you're also learning a lot about history, too, because music Mm -hmm. has built, it's either built a lot into history or it is the result of what is happening in historical events. There was a lot of people who would, um, you know, either write pieces or do their art because of what was happening. Absolutely. America, compared to other countries, has such a stunted history because we Mm -hmm. started in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. I can play music that was written in the 1400s on this guitar that was built in 2003. Yeah. I mean, there, there is something that music can bring centuries worth of a gap together in one moment, and it can be experienced at the same time. That's magical. So did you start out playing classical guitar or not oh no, no that took me a while <laughs> to get into that actually um well i started off you know my first instrument was the kermit the frog guitar <laughs> not right. sure if that counts though but the oh, first counts. <laughs> the first instrument that i remember ever actually sitting down to play was there was a storage building next to my home growing up and my mm-hmm. uncle had a drum set sitting there and I remember I would kind of sneak down there because <laughs> he would kill me if he knew I was messing with his drum set. But I'd sneak down there and I'd play on it and I'd kind of learn how everything worked. And, you know, in my mind, I wanted to be a drummer. Mm-hmm. So I played drums and I told my parents that I wanted to be a drummer. And around 10 or 11 years old, they bought me this, you know, maybe two foot wide electric drum set that had different pads on it. And mm-hmm. I would play and I want to say there's a video somewhere of my family getting together and my uncle and my grandfather are playing guitar and I'm sitting there and, you know, kind of playing around (laughs) on the drums. Uh And it was, it was great and I enjoyed it. But then my parents didn't because even if you turn the volume down on an electric drum pad, you still have that thump, thump, Oh yeah. Drums are just, they're made to be loud. Absolutely. There is no volume control. (laughs) So shortly after that, my grandfather, who was the musical patriarch of my family, Mm -hmm. um, got me a a cheap little half-sized acoustic guitar made by a company called Prelude. Which which was at least a step up from the Kermit the Frog guitar. Yes. The Kermit the Frog guitar. I wish I knew where it was now, God rest its soul. (laughs) But... You know, I got that guitar at age 14, and he showed me a couple chords. I want to say he showed me G and D, mm-hmm. and he taught me how to play Pretty Polly. And that was the, the extent of my musical lessons <laughs> at that point. Um, that was my entrance into the bluegrass world. Nice. So I started playing bluegrass and country, things like that, um, because that's what my, my family played. So once mm-hmm. again, trying to, to imitate them. I didn't really step out and start doing something on my own until around 16 or 17. And much to my parents' chagrin, they came in one day and I was playing metal music <laughs> on the newly bought electric <laughs> guitar that they had gotten me. Uh-huh. So that was quite a change going from playing bluegrass mm-hmm. to Metallica. <laughs> and really, I learned to play the guitar playing metal and rock mm. and the, the very intricate technical things like that. It is very intricate. You know, you, uh, there's some metal that isn't. But right. man, there's some metal that you listen to that it really is complicated. Yes. And I think that's where I started because then I, I I used to listen to all these different guitarists. And there's one guitarist named Randy Rhodes mm-hmm. who was classically trained. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what does that mean, classically trained? So I started looking into what this classical guitar was. 18 years old, still no formal music lessons whatsoever, Hmm. looking at going into college. I know I want to go into college for music, but 
pretty sure that you can't go in with a degree in metal music. <laughs> but I started looking at this thing called the classical guitar. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> it's not loud enough. It's not heavy enough. It's not, it's not impressive enough. But when I signed up for college, they, of course, didn't give me the option. They said, if you're going to learn guitar, then you have to learn classical guitar. Mm -hmm. Because that's just simply what we teach at college. I, I acquiesced, and I got one of the little paper-thin student guitars that they had there at the, the school. And I started playing it, and the more I played it, the more I just absolutely fell in love with mm. it. And that was the beginning of a love affair that just has not ended. It was something that started to imprint itself on me. And slowly but surely, I started to lean more towards that. And as... Towards the end of my last semester in college, I took a break and went back years later to finish my, up my degree. And I had tinkered around with the guitar a little bit in that off time, but never really dedicated myself to it. When I went back into college and I had to play you know, a senior recital to finish up my degree is when it was, it was set. I was like, I am a mm -hmm. classical guitarist. <laughs> I'm not just a guitarist who can play classical. I'm not just a classically trained metal guitarist. I am a classical musician. So I embraced it kind of that second time into the school system. And ever since then, I've, I've gotten rid of all my other, you know, the, <laughs> the heavy electric guitars and don't have a drum set anymore. I just have a couple of classical guitars laying around and a steel string acoustic. And that's what I do now. Well, I noticed that as you played that last piece... There was areas where, you know, it went from soft to loud and, and you know, there's all this, uh, there's movement that mm -hmm. happens in that. Um, and you can't have that with, you know, if you're going to play an electric guitar, unless you're turning down a knob, you're going to play at this volume. It's usually like, you know, right. <laughs> sort of in your face. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you plug up a Gibson Les Paul into a Marshall half stack and you're going to get loud. Yes. Even if you roll the volume back, you're still getting loud. Mm -hmm. You're just getting a different tone quality. But on an acoustic guitar, something that's self-amplifying, mm -hmm. you can control that a lot more. Mm -hmm. which, which means is, you have to learn a right. whole new level of, Absolutely. of stuff. Dynamics was something that was alien to me yeah. growing up. And when I went into college and my teacher started telling me, well, why don't you play that a little bit quieter? I'm like, you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. Kind of cut down the dynamics here. And I was like okay, I don't see why I would do that. And then I, I would do it and then it would build. And I'm like, wow, mm. that makes a huge difference because now you create this ebb and flow mm. in the music mm. that gives feeling, it life. A certain kind of feeling. Not that the other music doesn't have feeling because right. it does too, but there is definitely, you can play around with it so much more. Right. Where the, the loud amplified music definitely has a heartbeat to it. Mm -hmm. When you can get some dynamics, now it has breath. Mm -hmm. Now it breathes in and it expands and it breathes out and it contracts. And it really puts life into the music. That's one of the things that, as I was playing, as I was falling in love with the classical guitar, that's one of the things that really struck me as just being incredibly beautiful. Because I could sit there and I could play something so quiet that almost I couldn't hear it. I'm the one holding the guitar. And then just ramp up the volume <laughs> to where it's just huge and big and fills the room. Mm -hmm. and I can sit down in front of one of my students and we work for three weeks on dynamics. I'm like, no, play that quieter, play that louder. A week later, no, play that quieter, play that louder. And then after three weeks of hitting that and then practicing, they play a passage for me and it breathes. Mm. And I'm like, that's it. That's music. 
I see why you're a teacher, by the way. I mean, you, you've got this. Well, because I talk a lot? <laughs> uh, no, you have this uh, this very drawing way of, of uh, you know, making people excited about what it is that mm. you're talking about. And uh, that's that's a very good thing to have, especially if you're going to be a teacher. <laughs> right. Well, it's something that God, you know, put into me very early on and took a, it took a very good friend of mine, my best friend, actually, my pastor and my mentor, um, to kind of draw that out of me mm-hmm. to say, no, this is, this is your calling. Because I... Grew up, I'm a musician, I'm a Christian, worship leader. I mean, <laughs> right, it just makes right. sense, doesn't it? And there were a few times where I've done it. I've actually been the worship leader of a church. Mm-hmm. And every time it was always just, I feel like I'm not, you know, some denominations would say I don't have that anointing. Hmm. Or I, I just felt like to me, like I was operating outside of my calling. And I sat down with Jason, my friend, and he said, yeah, you're not a worship leader. <laughs> I was like, well, thanks for softening the blow, bud. (laughs) Well, he says, you're just not. There are people who are worship leaders, and it just happens. And I was always having to force it, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to get everybody excited and get everybody singing along. And even though I'm a musician, that doesn't necessarily mean that God designed me to be Mm -hmm. a worship leader. But then, even though I am a musician, he did design me to be a teacher. He gave me the gift of gab, as you have now seen. <laughs> um, I would love it if you would play one of the pieces that you actually wrote. Certainly. So what piece are you going to play, and uh, where does it come from? Well, this is a piece that I wrote just recently called Tears at Dawn. Um, now, I didn't call it Tears at Dawn. Uh, my fiancé named it for me. I, I gave her the opportunity to do that. Recently, I was on a mission trip to Uganda. Hmm. And the melody for this piece kind of came in my head those last few days that I was over there. I was there for just over a week. And I would wake up early every morning because we were right next to a Muslim mosque. Wow. So every morning at 5 o'clock, we would hear the Muslim call to prayer. Mm-hmm. And it was very loud. And it goes on. And it's very good at waking you up. <laughs> so at 5 o'clock every morning, I was up. Mm-hmm. And we had gotten engaged two days before I stepped on a plane to go to Uganda. Wow. So, you know, those last few days while I was there, I was starting to get very lonely. I was was missing her quite Mm -hmm. a bit. So every morning when I would get up, this melody would kind of be in my head, and I would spend the morning just thinking about how much I missed my fiancé and wanted to get back. And so I got back, and I turned the melody into a full song. I let her hear it, and I said, I want you to name it, because I've, I've got this name that... I kind of put to it. It was kind of a working title that I don't really like, but I want you to name it because I wrote it for you. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, sounds like Tears at Dawn. And I said, sounds good to me. That's lovely. So this is Tears at Dawn.
And it sounds just like that's such a good name. <laughs> She's good at that. She's good at that. So you said that you grew up in a house where your, you know, your family was full of music, full of gospel singing. So it sounds like you grew up in church. Is that right? No. The interesting thing about that is I grew up around gospel music and around. I, mean, I, I was raised on Christian values. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a Christian church, but did not attend church regularly. Mm-hmm. I remember very, you know kind of hit or miss things throughout my childhood going to church, but we weren't necessarily a church family. Mm-hmm. Now that's changed um, you know, throughout the years. Now many members of my family are involved in ministry. My mother is a Pentecostal minister over in the, the Midwest. Mm. Um, I'm a Sunday school teacher and a preacher. So growing up, we all kind of went through that journey together. I wasn't raised up into that. We all like Paul said, we all worked out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It was it was kind of interesting looking back at that now. So when did you, when can you say that you had a, a very real encounter with God? Well, um, always knew God, you know, grew up having an, at least an acquaintance with him, was at least acquainted with God and Jesus and the Bible, uh, knew a few things out of the Bible. But it wasn't until about six or seven years ago um, that had a very big shakeup happen in my hmm. life. And as those things tend to do, they'll drive you one or two ways. They'll drive you to the darkness or they'll drive you to the light. Yes. And at that particular moment, I was already about as in the darkness as you could get. Hmm. And so that drove me very much through a very good friend of mine who God put in front of me at just the right time. Um, He's good at that. He really is. <laughs> he really is. Uh-huh. And little by little. That acquaintance became a friendship, became a relationship, mm. um, which led me to where I am now. It's very cool. And it changes your, it changes the way that you live your life, really. Mm-hmm. It changes not just your perspective, because, you know, now, before I was looking at life as, okay, well, I'm here, I'm doing this thing, and yeah, there's kind of a God in heaven that's, I guess he's doing stuff, but I have no idea how that works. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So now... My life is driven by a pursuit to know him more. My music is driven by a desire to honor him and praise him with my music, even if I'm not necessarily singing. But as the Bible says, we do all things to the glory of God, and we do all things to bring glory to him. So I always keep that in mind. You know, I I tend to not necessarily get into the fight of, Christian music and not Christian music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to be very much on the side of all beauty is God's beauty, mm-hmm. um, which is why I feel comfortable being a classical guitarist. With, I mean, I can play music that, in my opinion, I'm worshiping God yeah. in playing my music, even though I'm not necessarily singing lyrics that are telling you that I am. Yes, I believe that's how Bach was. And absolutely, you know, well, Bach, you know, wrote much of his music and then would sign it "Soli Deo Gloria" mm-hmm. to God alone be the glory. In my opinion, when we look at the the beauty that we see in the world, like Paul would say, it drives us towards knowing that there is a God. And we have no excuse for sitting there and saying there's not one, because look at that. Hmm. How could you look at that and not? 
And so that very much drives my music in that I want to create beautiful music. Sometimes it can be sad, like the piece I just played, or sometimes it can be big and peppy and happy. Um, the music that I play always tends to be music that has uh, emotional effect on me or a spiritual effect on me. And so when I was listening to things back in my youth that were not beautiful, <laughs> that was you know speaking darkness into my life, now I try to make sure that through my music, I try to let light and good into my life and try to do that the same with the people that listen to the music that I play. So when you're writing your music, you know, we heard about Tears at Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a... Is there one specific thing that you find always inspires you to write, or is it many? It's many. It's it's whatever is impacting me at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not always writing. Um, I'm more of a performer than I am a composer. Mm-hmm. The times that I do sit down and compose, it's few and far between. And when I do play something, it is very much impacted by what's going on around me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it can be sitting in a country 9,000 miles away and missing <laughs> my sweetheart. Uh And then sometimes it could be just, you know, I have this feeling of lightly skipping down a country road. You know, whatever, wherever my heart is projects through what I create. So uh, you were talking about that you hadn't had lessons, you know, growing up that you basically taught yourself. Mm -hmm. When you went to college, was that the first lessons that you had ever taken? Absolutely. And that was the scary part about it, because most colleges, if not all colleges, when you go into a music program, you have to audition. Right. And the audition is not just, can you play your instrument, but can you read music? Do you have a basic musical knowledge? And Mm -hmm. I had absolute zero. Like on theory or anything? None whatsoever. I could not read a dotted rhythm. I couldn't read a rhythm. (laughs) Well, that's when you know that music is really inside somebody or it's not, you know? And it obviously was inside of you. Right. At Uh 14 years old, when I was given my first guitar, for those four years between 14 and 18, I had just played everything by ear. I knew what certain things were called, like I knew this was a G, and I knew that was an A, Uh or I knew that this technique was called that. But if you put down a piece of paper in front of me and said, write that down, I would have said, nope, sorry, (laughs) because I just did not have any formal training. Mm -hmm. Even in in school, in elementary school, in grade school, things like that, I was never in a band. I was never in choir. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't. Which, you know, that kind of works for, I mean, if you're going to play rock music or you know gospel even uh you know country any any of of today's kind of music mm-hmm. you can get away with not having right. formal training but if you're going into classical guitar uh, yeah wow well, with and with bluegrass bluegrass is very much roots music it's mm-hmm. it's home music mm-hmm. and it comes from a feeling of informality mm-hmm. so you didn't have to necessarily know what time signature you just played you just have to know that this is what you played yes um, many of my friends today are fantastic bluegrass players who can just play these strings off a guitar, mm-hmm. have no idea any music theory. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just mm-hmm. they have embraced the more informal side of it. Yeah. Going into college, college is a formal environment. Yeah. So I would not have been able to be informal in college. <laughs> and anyone who's ever written a research paper in college knows what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Because as soon as you start making grammatical <laughs> errors, you start seeing that red ink on your paper, and you know you're in for a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. So you have to embrace the more formal side of it. So I was worried sick going I'll in, bet. knowing that I was going to have to do an audition. And I was, I was like, how am I going to cram years and years of music theory knowledge into my brain to be able to do this? And then... Two days before my audition date, I received an email from Gordon College saying that, unfortunately, our music professor has decided to step down. Mm -hmm. And so they were bringing in a new professor. 
short notice, he was not going to be there until the first day of uh, uh, classes. Uh So they sent me a a notification saying, unfortunately, we will not be able to hold auditions and that everyone who has applied (laughs) will be getting into the program. So that's the one, unfortunately, in a letter that you're like, yes. I was, you know, I was jumping up and down. But then that opened the door to something more interesting, too, because the first day of lessons, Dr. Danny Beard walked in. And he said, all right, so this is Music 101, first semester, college level. So what we're going to do is we're just going to spend a couple of days just going over the basic stuff that you all have learned in music class and grade school and all this stuff. So and you're just and bear smiling. with me. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> thank you, God. And for three days, he's going through this stuff. And all my other students around me were like, oh, we've already done this since I was eight why do we have to do it again? And I'm sitting there with a pad and a pen just writing away. I'm like, oh, that's what that means? That's what that... Oh, wow. I did more work in those first three days of college than I did my entire college I career. I believe it. Talk about crash a crash course. course. Absolutely. That <laughs> yeah. was that was my introduction into the formal music world. Wow. That is really amazing. It was... Uh, amazing is an interesting word. I think I lost hair over it, actually. Yeah. Oh, I think my receding hairline came from that experience. I love it. That's when you know that God really meant you to Absolutely. be what you're doing right Absolutely. now. It's... Looking back at that through the eyes that I see through now, looking back at that is God had his hand on that every moment. Absolutely. I love it. That's great. Yep. So uh, going back to your your music writing, mm-hmm. can you remember the first song that you ever wrote? Yeah. The uh, first song I wrote was actually back when I was in college because mm-hmm. I'd taken a break and then went back to finish up my degree. And in that time that I went back and really embraced the classical guitar, I was tinkering around with this melody one day and it just kept going and kept going. And before I knew it, I'd written this whole song and it was the first song that I had composed for classical and I really liked it. And so I started kind of putting the finishing touches on it. And by the end, by the time I was done, here was this song that I'd written and I played it for a few of my friends uh, in the music department and they liked it. And I played it for my music professor. He Mm -hmm. liked it. And then I finally played it for my guitar instructor and he's like, you know what? You should put that in your uh, program for your senior recital. Awesome. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. So I did. And so that's a piece called The Road Home. Will you play that? Certainly. Great.
Amazing. I love that piece. Thank you. Thank you once again for sharing that. That's great. Thank you for listening. Once again, that one was called The Road Home by Ryan Cummings. And Ryan, I just want to say thank you so much for being here in the STL studio, taking the time to interview and share your heart and your thoughts and your music. It's been beautiful. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Uh, And hopefully, you know, if you write any more stuff, you come out with an album, you can be right back here again. <laughs> Actually, that's um, that's something I'm working on right now. Are Just you? finished pre-production, working on getting a new album started. That's awesome. Please let me know uh, so I can let you know our listeners know too Will when do. you got stuff out. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ryan Cummings. What a great guy and so incredibly talented. If you'd like to hear more from Ryan, you can find him on YouTube and Facebook. If this is your first time to the Sounding the Light site, once again, thank you for visiting. I hope you can take some time to check out our other guests. We have some great artists with some really good music and good things to share. If you'd like to stay in touch with what's going on here at Sounding the Light, you can find us on Facebook and also click our subscribe button and you won't miss any of our future podcasts. Also, if you are in the South Atlanta area, You can catch me every other Friday on 90.7, 91.7 New Life FM during the New Mornings show with host Pete Shagnon at uh, between the 8 and 9 o'clock hour. I hope you can join us. We have a lot of fun and uh, many times there's opportunities for Sounding the Light guests to be on there live as well. So uh, definitely join us if you can. If you are not in the area but would still like to listen in, you can go to the Sounding the Light homepage and up where the pictures scroll through, just click on the New Mornings banner and it will take you to the New Life website where you can live stream. Once again, thank you so much for visiting me today. I hope you have a great day. God bless.